Fantastic, great. Cool. So it's great to be sharing again this morning. Um, last time I was speaking here, it was the Heroic Faith series, which was, which was great. I really enjoyed that. And uh, this morning, we'll be looking at Matthew. Um, but before we get into that, let me just say good morning from myself. Uh, some of you may know me, some of you might not. Um, my name's Sam. I'm on the men's ministry team. I sometimes play drums. You might have seen me around. Um, but it's great to be here. I became a Christian when I was 17. Um, I always grew up going to church with my, my family, my parents. I have two older sisters. Um, and I love church. I did enjoy it for, for most part until I was kind of a teenager and I kind of drifted away a little bit and mastered the art of having a double life, kind of the Sunday morning and then the, during the week, uh, not so much. But um, yeah, when I was 17, I, I made a decision to be, be all in uh, and become a disciple, I guess, which is probably a better term than a Christian, because I kind of already knew what it meant to be a Christian. So that's a little bit about my story. And like I said, we're going to be looking at Matthew again this morning. We're back into Matthew. Last week, we took a break from Matthew, and we had the guys from Compassion here, and they were sharing about uh, what they've been doing and their projects in Haiti, and uh, we learned how we can get behind it as a church. And I would really encourage you to consider that. Uh, if you haven't already sponsored a child, it's so worth getting behind it. I remember, uh, I'll tell you a little story, two years ago, I think it was about two years ago, uh, I was an intern at the time and I was really challenged by a few people to sponsor a child through compassion and um, I remember at the time there was a couple of things that was holding me back and I thought I'd share this with you this morning because some of you might be able to relate. And one of the things was, I didn't know whether it was worth it uh, and what, what made me think it was worth it was the fact that it dawned on me that I was an intern at the time and I had no intention of going to university, or at least I didn't know that that's where I was going to go. And it dawned on me that actually there's a very real possibility that if I was to sponsor a child, then actually it would give this child a better education than me. And that kind of, when, when that sunk in, I was a bit like, oh, wow, okay, this is a bit of a no-brainer, then I should do this. And then the other thing that was stopping me was money. And this might be the case for you. You might think, oh, can I really afford to sponsor a child every month and send money to something that I'm not necessarily going to see in person? And uh, at the time, like I said, I was an intern. If you've ever been an intern, you'll know that you don't get that much money. And what, that wasn't so much the issue. What was the issue was I didn't know what I was doing after my internship. And so I didn't know whether I would have a sustainable income after my year out. And so... I kind of dawned on me that actually, you know what, God kind of prompted me and said, you know, Sam, we might as well do this because a year's worth of sponsorship is better than nothing. So I'd encourage you to do that. And one thing that did happen, and this is something I learned really uh, for the first time, actually, I learned that God honors you in these moments because I sent the forms off on the Sunday night and on the Monday morning I went into work and I opened my emails and I had an email from my boss and it said, Sam, for this next year we're going to increase your pay by £100, which at the time was quite a lot um, in comparison to what I was earning. And so God really honoured that, and it was really amazing. I mean, I'm not saying that you're going to get a pay rise when you sponsor a child, but actually it's something that I learned that when you step out for God, be it financially or with your possessions or with your time, then actually I think he really honours you with that. Um, yeah. So I'd encourage you to take a look at some of the children that are around on the Connect table this afternoon or after church. But to recap then, we're into Matthew, and uh, 
We're going to be finishing off what is actually a bit of a mini-series within Matthew. I think uh, you may not have noticed it, but Matthew has been telling us about Jesus and telling us about uh, a period in Jesus' life uh, and ministry. And he's been quite clever, actually, I think Matthew has, because there's a few miracles that Jesus has done. And then after this morning, he's going to go off and do some other stuff. But what we're looking at this morning concludes this mini-series of the life of Jesus and of the miracles he's been performing. But before we get on to that, let me just say what Matthew's already done this morning, because it can be useful just to recap, can't it? So he has so far told us Jesus' family tree, his birth and how that came about, Jesus' baptism, his testing in the wilderness, the calling of his first disciples. We heard a long sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus taught us some really mind-blowing stuff. It was fantastic to hear some teaching that was really still quite countercultural as it would have been back then for them as well. And that kind of brings us up to where we are now. Jesus has come off the mountain and uh, he's begun to perform these signs and wonders and the people are uh, really kind of starting to realize who Jesus is. And some of them believe and some of them don't believe, some of them doubt and some of them are questioning, oh, who is Jesus? And I think that's actually quite similar to us today, isn't it? Um, some of us believe, some of us don't, and some of us are kind of on the edge of believing. And what's exciting about this series and what I'm enjoying the most is slowly we're getting this picture uh, of Jesus that um, is being revealed to us. And everything that Jesus does, everything that's written about him, um, is slowly painting this picture, this bigger picture of what his life means for us today as it did for them back when he was actually wandering around the earth doing all the stuff we're learning about and uh, each miracle kind of portrays Jesus in a, a slightly different light and can teach us something really quite specific about him and God which is cool. I don't know if you're aware of this but uh, it's widely believed that Jesus would have performed more miracles uh, and done more signs and more teaching than we have recorded in the Bible. And, and what that means, it's not something to be afraid of, but what that means is actually what we do have recorded is there for a reason. You know, there's a reason why Matthew or God has decided that this is what we need to know. This is the order it needs to be in. This is why it's here. And so what that tells me, and I think what it tells us, is that actually when we come to look at a story that we need to just you know, be careful not to miss anything, because actually there's a reason it's there, there's a reason it's in this order. And so this morning as we conclude what I'm telling you is a, a little mini-series, we're just going to take a look at what, what it is Matthew's saying to us so that we're careful not to miss anything um, as we go through this last little bit. It's Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible if you have one with you, open it up to Matthew 9, 1 to 8, or if your phone, then you could turn on the app, or there are some down at the front. Um, do go grab one if you want. Don't be embarrassed to do that. So I'm just going to read the passage to us this morning, and then we'll crack on and see what God is saying. So Matthew 9, 1-8 says this, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, 
your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. And what you might notice straight away with this story is, actually there's, a, there's quite a lot going on, and, and we have, in a sense, a story within a story. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and what happens is uh, Jesus performs this miracle, and then the rest of it, is, uh, is Jesus kind of picking up the pieces of what he said, and the way he said it has caused quite a, a debacle amongst some of the, the teachers of the law who happen to be there, uh, and they're kicking off over it, and Jesus kind of picks up the pieces, but actually teaches us a great lesson at the same time. But the first thing I want us to, to notice this morning, to draw our attention to, is, uh, is in verse 2. And verse 2 says, Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of you, some of you might know that this story is in, uh, it's in Luke, and Math, uh, Luke and Mark's Gospels as well. And in those, in those two Gospels, we get more detail. Uh, and this is the story where the man's lowered down through the roof. So his friends are carrying him. They can't get into the house where Jesus is. And so they go up onto the roof. They rip a hole in the roof and they lower the man down. Matthew doesn't give us that detail, but this is the same story. That's what's happened. The, the men have literally ripped a hole in a roof to lower their friend down um, to see Jesus. And, and what's happened is the friends of this paralytic man, they've, they've heard about Jesus. They, they have faith and hope that he can help him. And so they've picked him up and they've carried him to Jesus and they've brought him to Jesus with the hope that he can change his situation. And Jesus turns to the paralyzed man after seeing their faith, and he says to him, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Just hold that picture in your head for a moment. Jesus sees a group of men carrying the mat, and then he turns to the paralyzed man and says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on to heal him. And when I was dwelling on this passage, I was thinking about it, quite a while ago, and uh, I just had this sense that actually before we go any further and get into what Jesus said to the teachers of the law, that we should just stop for a moment and um, just remind ourselves and, and focus on the fact that our faith, um, our personal faith, our own faith, doesn't only affect our own lives, but the lives of those around us. And we touched on this a little bit as a church, and I know Carl's spoken about it before, and you see it quite a lot in the Old Testament, but this passage really drives it home for me, actually. I think this is quite clearly saying that your faith, the faith you have, actually has a huge effect on other people. It can affect your friends, be it Christian friends, non-Christian friends, your family members, and your, your acquaintances, people at work, perhaps, so I just encourage you just to not take your faith too lightly because actually, it, I think this passage is telling us that you know our, our faith affects other people. And so if you've been praying for ages about 
someone else or for someone else, I just encourage you to keep going with that because God listens to that. God hears that. And I think that's what's happened here. Jesus sees the faith of the men carrying the paralyzed man. And then he goes on to heal their friend. I think that's really powerful. But quite responsibility as well for us. So moving on into the next session, and the scene develops, doesn't it? And the teachers of the law come in. And uh, the teachers of the law are funny because they're like the modern-day know-it-alls. And, and they think kind of they've, they've got all the information, but the reality is they're quite off the mark. Thank you. Um, they're, they're way off the mark, actually, but we'll, we'll not judge them too quickly because sometimes that's us, isn't it? Verse three, from verse 3, it says this. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And just quickly, if you weren't aware, Jesus knows your thoughts. Verse 5 carries on. It says, which is, Jesus says, Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and he went home. Now if you've been following the Matthew series, which I think most of us have, you'll know that in the past couple of uh, times we've heard about uh, Jesus in the Matthew series, that uh, Matthew has been telling us and Jesus has shown himself to be one who wields God's power in two massive areas. In, in nature, when he calmed the storm, and uh, Dan preached last time, didn't he, on, on when Jesus cast out the demons um, onto the pigs, and the pigs go rushing down the hill, and they end up in, well, drowning. <coughs> Sorry about that. And... Uh, and, and Matthew concludes this, this section, and this is why I'm calling it a mini-series, because all three miracles are kind of connected, with, um, with, with really driving home this, this sense that, that actually we need to know that Jesus has power and authority over these massive areas of life, over, over the storm, over nature, and over the demons as well. And, and Jesus goes on, and, and in this section, he heals a man, but the way he does it is fascinating. And this is why I think it, Matthew's really driving it home, isn't he? Because it's not just the fact that he heals a man, but it's the way he does it and the words that he uses. Because rather than just the man being healed, he says, he, he says uh, your sins are forgiven. And so this time we see Jesus saying he has the authority to forgive sins and actually forgiving his sins. Uh, and what's significant about that is that actually that means that Jesus is on the same level as God. And it means that actually Jesus is God because only God can forgive sins. And so the Pharisees, when they say, or the teachers of the law, when they say that, that Jesus, oh, this fellow is blaspheming, well, in a sense, they're not wrong, but they are wrong because he is God. So they're not wrong to say that, but it just shows how far off the mark they are because they don't even realize that he's God. And so just as a side note, I think, you know, this is, again, a great example, isn't it, of, of how we just need to be aware that we don't miss God. Like, I just think, how on earth can they have been, been there? And, and Jesus, being God, is performing these amazing signs and wonders, and he is fulfilling everything they know or everything they think they know. 
about the law, and yet they've missed it. Like, totally missed it. They're so far off the mark. And I just wonder if that, if that happens for us sometimes. Like, do we ever, like, we get so focused on something. It not, might not necessarily be the law, like, because it was the law for them. They were so focused on the law that they missed God literally in front of them. I wonder whether for us it's something else, whether we get so focused on our jobs or whether we get so focused on a hobby or if there's something that we really enjoy, but actually that distracts us from God. And so then we turn to God and like, God, why aren't you doing anything in this situation? And God's like, I've been doing something for ages. You've just been faffing around or you've been busy or why, why weren't you concentrating on me? And I think actually it's this thing, isn't it? Blind spots and Dan and Carl speak about it a bit and we all have blind spots and sometimes we need them to be pointed out. And the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, they had a huge blind spot. And I wonder, you can try and figure out what your blind spots are, but it's just something to be really aware of. So the teachers of the law, they question Jesus and they say, Jesus, well, you can't say that, that's not right. You can't, you can't say that, you, you're blaspheming. And Jesus' response is funny because it's an annoying one. And he says, oh, <laughs> he says, uh, in verse 5, he says, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And you're just like, Jesus, what are you on about? Like, that's, that's the same question. They're the same number of words. It's like such a so silly question. Why do you ask these questions? They're so unhelpful for everybody. But actually, Jesus is kind of setting himself up so he can go on to answer and just drive home this point that he wants to make. So Jesus has been really clever because he set himself up and he goes on, doesn't he? And he, he says, uh, what does he say? He says, I want you to know that I have authority to forgive sins. So he sets himself up so that he can uh, tell them in person, in word, in written word, it's written down for us, that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, which means that Jesus is God. Jesus is the living God. He is walking around amongst people. He is the living God. And it's so clear. Matthew has made it so clear for us. He's written it down. Jesus has literally just said to them, after calming the storm, casting out demons, healing a man, he has said to them, I have the authority to forgive sins. I am God. And so Matthew, in a sense, is concluding this section, and, and we'll see next week, we're moving on, and Jesus is going to call some disciples, and Jesus and Matthew is just driving home this truth that Jesus is God. And not just that, but actually Jesus, as being God, possesses the power that God has to do all these signs and wonders. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? Well, let me tell you, because actually this is where it gets really, really cool. Because the same power that Jesus has, the same spirit that rests upon him that came from the Father, and we read that in the baptism when Jesus got baptized, the same spirit that Jesus has upon him that is enabling him to do all these things and the power that he has, has been given to us as well. We know that. We see that 
now in day-to-day -day life, but also we read about it in the Bible. The Bible says that that's what's going to happen. And then when it happens, the Bible tells us how it's happened and tells us what's happening. And we see it now as well as back then in the early church. And just throughout history, you see people anointed with the Spirit of God. And when I say anointed, that's a fancy word, but actually just means they're Christian and they've asked for the Holy Spirit to be in their life. And for many of us here, that would be the case for us as well. And so what it means is we have that same power that Jesus had. And, and, and that's really exciting. And it gets me excited because it means that actually the stuff that Jesus did, you know, what we can do, or at least God can do through us, which is fascinating. It's cool. And if it doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what will. And I wanted to read you a story this morning from, from Acts because it actually uh, it explains... Uh, the power of the Spirit on people a lot better than I could. And I thought, I'd, rather than me try and explain it, we'll just let Acts do it and uh, what the story is in Acts. And the story comes from Acts 3. And at this point, the Spirit of God has, has come to all people. His day of Pentecost has happened, and everyone has uh, the Spirit, much like we do today, but back then it just happened. And, um, and in Acts 3, we, we have this story, and it says... One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he's put, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And the story goes on and Peter and John, they, they get arrested for what's happened and they get brought to, to explain themselves in front of some important people. And this is the bit that I really, you should really listen to because if you've not been listening to the rest of the sermon, that's fine, it doesn't matter because this is the bit that you need to listen to because this is the bit where Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit and he tells you exactly who Jesus is. So this is the bit you need to listen. If you've not been listening, that's fine, but listen right now because this could potentially change your life, I promise. And Acts 4 then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, so if you're wondering, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And if you're in any doubt this morning, if you have any doubt in your mind or in your heart over who Jesus is, and you've been coming to, to church for a while perhaps, or you're just here for the first time, and we've been going through Matthew and 
and you're hearing this Jesus story. It's called the Jesus story because it's about Jesus. And you're wondering, oh, I still don't get who this Jesus guy is like. He's done some cool stuff. He's been teaching some cool stuff. He's, we heard about his family tree. It was a bit random. He's been baptized. I don't really understand why they do that. That doesn't matter because Peter has just explained, I think, in some of the clearest words, actually, that Jesus is one who we must turn to. He is... The stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And that's just a fancy way of saying, you know what? We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. And we've all rejected God. But actually, that's fine. Because God, he raised Jesus from the death, from the dead. And because of that, we can also be raised from our, our sin, our death as well. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And it's great, isn't it, with our faith, uh, even though we reject God so many times and we turn away from him, and, uh, and, or we have sin in our lives and we just can't shake it off, and there's, um, everyone's different, but there'll be something for each of us that we just think, oh, God, why can't I get rid of this, Lord? I'm praying about it, but we can't get rid of it. What, what's going on? I can't do it. Uh, and you're just sinning and you're going on. Or, or maybe you don't even realize you're sinning at the moment and you're just thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I just, God, I just, what, 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 I can't do this. And what's beautiful about this passage, I think, is actually this morning, right now, God is saying to us, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So whatever it is in your life, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And actually, <clears throat> it's only by the power of Jesus that we can be set free by, from, uh, from our sins. And, and it's only by the power of Jesus that our lives can be transformed. And, and right here in this church, we've heard stories of uh, people's lives being transformed and people's situations being transformed. Even last week, we had people from Compassion come and we heard stories of lives being transformed because Jesus was working through people. The spirit that rests upon Jesus was working through people and lives were being transformed. That's why compassion, on all of their things, they have compassion, helping in Jesus' name. That's why. Not because it sounds fancy, not because it sounds clever, not because it's a Christian thing to do, because they recognize that actually it's Jesus that changes the situation. It's him that can restore hope to hopeless situations. It's him that can bring light to darkness. And so they choose to have in Jesus' name on everything they do. And so when you sponsor a child, actually you're doing it in Jesus' name. And that means that there's power in what you're doing. And I really encourage you to consider that. And we've kind of plowed through this quite quickly this morning, but my final point uh, I just want to draw your attention to is, um, is in the last verse that we read this morning. It's verse 8. And, and why don't the band, why don't you guys get ready to come out because we're almost finished. But verse 8, it, it says something quite interesting. It's something I've been challenged by. It says, uh, When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. 
And I read that and I kind of brushed over it a little bit and then I went back to it and I read it again and brushed over it and then kind of read it again and I was like, oh man, that's really tough. And, uh, and it's a challenge for, for me and it's a challenge I want to give to you this morning is actually when we see God do amazing things in our lives, when we see God change situations and scenarios, when we sponsor children or when we, when we help the homeless and God literally changes the situation and does these amazing things, and we've heard stories at this church where God has done that, like, what is our response? Because my response so often is, that's great, but you know what, that's not going to change our worship. I'm still going to stand there like this. I'm still going to put my hands in my pockets. I'm still just going to be like, and I really struggle with that, and this verse challenges me because they saw what God had done, much like we have seen what God has done in people's lives, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God. And I wonder whether, as a challenge to us, whether we need to just consider how we respond when God does something amazing. Because, again, I feel like God might be frustrated with us, and he sees, he's like, I just did something amazing amongst you, and your response is pathetic. <laughs> like, I just, did, I just did the most amazing thing in your church's life, in your community, in your town, in your country. And you all went, fair enough. Nice job. And I just wonder, like, actually, you know what? These guys, they saw something and actually they praised God. And I think maybe we should learn from that. I'm going to hand over to the band and we're going to sing. And I don't want to put you in an awkward place. Obviously, you're not going to jump around now, but... It's just something to be aware of, isn't it, actually, that when we see God working and in power, how do we respond to that?